Becoming a hero is as simple as saying yes to organ donation. There are really three categories of heroes. One is veterans, a second is first responders, and a third is organ and tissue donors. That's Chief Organ Operations Officer of Mid-America Transplant, Kevin Lee. I'm your host, Monica Fox, kidney transplant recipient and Director of Outreach and Government Relations for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. On this episode of The Journey Continues, Kevin shares how his work has given him the opportunity to impact the lives of donor families and transplant recipients throughout Illinois and Missouri. Well, let's get right into it. Here's a question I've been dying to ask you. So your title is Chief Organ Operations Officer. Such an interesting and cool title. What do you do in that role? Well, I get that question a lot with that title, so I'm, I'm happy to, to start there. My role here at MidAmerica Transplant is really to support the organ donation process from, I don't know if you could ever really say beginning to end, but really beginning with the community and how we do community outreach and engagement and education through to hospital engagement, how we work with our hospital partners family support, the team that works with families and approaches them regarding the opportunity for organ and tissue donation in the hospital, the donor management team of our 25 extremely dedicated registered nurses who manage our life-saving heroes, our organ donors, the team that supports the surgeons that recover the organs and make sure they end up at their next destination at the transplant center. And then the aftercare team, which is our outreach team that focuses on written and in-person interactions with donor families who we view as our collaborators. So it's really a fascinating opportunity to serve a team of dedicated professionals that impact the whole cycle of organ and tissue donation here in Southern Illinois and Eastern Missouri. I love that. Sounds like you just get to do really great work every day. It is a tremendous honor and privilege to work with, one, a team of dedicated individuals. But if that was 1A, 1B would be the opportunity to serve donor families and to journey with them as they do this incredible thing, which is say yes to donation, organ, tissue, and eye donation, and subsequently transplantation. It's so moving and humbling to see everyday people make a decision to build a legacy of life for their loved one that impacts a complete stranger. And with 107,000 Americans on the waiting list for a life-saving organ transplant today, every morning we know what our work is about. And our work is to get people off of that list, to give them the freedom to live their best life possible, the life that they want to live. Well, that's wonderful. And as one of those people who spent three years on that list, I am truly humbled to have received that life-saving gift of a kidney transplant. And every morning when I wake up and I put my feet on the floor, I pay honor to my donor, Milton. And I say, today is another opportunity to do good in this world because of the gift that Milton and his family gave me. 
So I am so grateful for the work that you do and to know the focus is on supporting donor families. So let's talk a little bit about how you support donor families. For us at at Mid-America Transplant, and I think at our partner organ procurement organization in Chicago and Northern Illinois of Gift of Hope, it's really about how do we build a relationship with that donor family in the hospital on what is quite possibly one of the worst days of their life. How do we treat them with respect and dignity by providing them an opportunity to build a legacy of life for their loved one? And how do we give them the power in that situation? So often families who are at the hospital who have lost a loved one, they feel powerless. I I know that I certainly have felt powerless in that situation with my own family, my own personal experience. So it's really about using language that's very intentional to give that power back to that family so that they are fully in control of the decision to allow their loved one to become an organ donor. That is beautiful and sounds so, so respectful, so kind and caring and loving. I'm sure that that really gives those donor families a sense of peace. What are some of the major myths and misconceptions around organ donation and many people who say no to it? Our overall authorization number hovers right around 75%, so as a whole. Some of the reasons that people are reluctant to move forward with organ donation is uh, timing. Uh, The family may be have been at the hospital for days or weeks and they're unwilling to move forward. Um, So we try to work through that those timing concerns with them. There are concerns about an open viewing, uh, whether that's possible, whether you've been an organ and or tissue donor, and you absolutely can have an open viewing. We work with a team of reconstructive funeral home directors who have the ability to to reconstruct um, the circulatory system with the organ donor to make sure they look as natural as possible if the family wants to have an open viewing. One of the other misconceptions is that the family is financially responsible for the, the organ donation process. And uh, the organ procurement organization bears the financial responsibility of that organ donation process. So the the donor family should not occur any expenses related to that at all. And then the third misconception is that uh, many people share with us that if they have that donor symbol on their license, and in the state of Illinois, that is the shape of the state of Illinois in red in the lower corner of the driver's license, that they won't receive the very best medical care possible, that the hospital may give them a lesser quality of care to preserve the opportunity for organ donation for someone else. So we really want to make sure everybody understands there's a very clear ethical line there that we don't want to cross because we all want to preserve life. And do you have a personal connection to organ donation? Have you experienced this yourself within your family? Well, I've been very fortunate to this point that I've not had a member of my immediate or extended family need an organ donation. I I did in 2015 lose uh, a very good friend of mine, uh, Russ, who died at a very early age in his late 40s. And he was a 
tissue donor. He donated corneas as well. That was prior to my time here, Monica, at Mid-America Transplant. And I was really moved by his wife's decision to do this. It totally aligned with who Russ was as a person. He worked a lot in youth ministry uh, for, for his church, and he was very giving. And when I heard that she had said yes to tissue donation, he wasn't medically eligible to donate organs. I just thought, how tremendous is that as we all grieve the loss of Russ, that his wife had the ability and the foresight to say, this is really who he was when he was living and something he would want to do afterwards. And I thought, holy smokes, how do we continue to honor his story and his legacy? And is there an opportunity to be part of organizations to that do that? And I, I really connected with the story you shared about um, how you honor Milton as well. And, and, and how you continue to, to build his legacy of life. And, and what else can we do for others in our communities around this? Yeah, I think that's beautiful that um, she allowed Russ to continue to give and to continue to live through tissue and cornea donation, to continue to see. And, and it's been interesting to, to journey with her uh, after Russ's passing and, and really see the meaning that continues to give her moving forward and, and to his sister as well. And really using that language around heroes. And we certainly um, think of heroes in many categories here. And, and I've heard it said by some of my friends who are recipients or people who I've become friends with over the last five years who are recipients that there, there are really three categories of heroes in their mind. One is is veterans, a second is first responders, and a third is organ and tissue donors, those who sacrifice for the complete stranger in in our country and in our community. And that really is, is a nice way to think about it, is that there are those who out there who want to give and are willing to sacrifice so that others may live. Absolutely. Milton is definitely my hero. I hashtag that all the time on my social media. Milton is my hero. I subscribe to the hero theory too. And those are the perfect three categories of, of heroes. So what groups are least likely to register to be organ donors based on your statistics? Yeah. So based on the information that we've been tracking over the last several years, I think the, the first group that we struggle with is men over the age of 40. As a whole, they do not join the registry in high numbers. Uh, women over the age of 40, however, tend to be very prevalent individuals of, of our communities who, who join the registry. Um, we have had several conversations with the Illinois Department of Conservation in the past couple of years where we would like to actually include more information on the organ donor registry as part of the fishing and hunting license renewal process. We do think that there's an opportunity there because men over the age of 40, uh, not all, but in significant numbers, do hunt and fish. Today, so many people buy or renew their hunting and fishing licenses online. And so uh, we would really like the opportunity to work with the Department of Conservation moving forward to see if we couldn't provide links 
to the Illinois um, Department of Motor Vehicles so that people could give the gift of life by registering through that process. So we certainly see men, regardless of socioeconomic background, as a tough group uh, to get to join the registry. We also struggle with groups that have been historically underserved by the medical community. Across the region, we see that um, the African-American community is reluctant at times and in places to join the registry. And part of that leads into your earlier question, Monica, about misconceptions within the community. And, And we certainly hear in focus groups that we have with community members that there is some distrust of standard medical care, and there is concern that if they have the organ donor registry on their driver's license, or they've joined the registry, the national registry, that they, those community members won't receive the highest level of care. Mm-hmm. Are people in Illinois or Missouri more likely to register to be donors? <laughs> <laughs> now you're asking me the Cardinals versus Cubs question. Yes. Or, or maybe the White Sox versus <laughs> Cardinals question. Yeah. So we see um, donation rates are pretty consistent across the region. Uh, And we see some some very slight organic growth year over year in the number of individuals who are joining the registry. As an overall percentage of the state population on the registry, Illinois is ahead of Missouri. And I think uh, statistics will back that up. And I'm certain the Illinois Secretary of State's office will support that. So we do see uh, an increasing numbers people join the registry in Illinois at a slightly higher rate. It's a it's got a bigger population base, and, and quite frankly, there there's just a lot going on to promote organ donation in the Chicagoland area as well. So we're grateful for that. We we certainly see uh, across the southern part of the state, families are incredibly generous around organ and tissue donation. And what takes place for us in southern Illinois is there's not a level one trauma center in Southern Illinois. So those donors are often, if they've had a a traumatic uh, incident impact their health, they are transported to one of the two level one trauma centers here in the city of St. Louis, and that's Barnes Jewish Hospital and SSM St. Louis University Hospital. So we do have the great opportunity to serve um, families from Southern Illinois. And and what's also interesting in, in that too, Monica, is that a lot of families from Southern Illinois who do need an organ transplant, they do apply and choose to be listed at either Barnes Jewish uh, Hospital, which has a transplant center, or SSM St. Louis University Hospital, which also does liver and kidney transplants. So um, a lot of people from Southern Illinois, they do seek their medical care in in St. Louis. And and so we're we're grateful for that and grateful to have such strong community partners so that people don't have to travel too far from home to get the care that they need. That's great. So we've talked a lot about donor families and they matter so much. Um, But I'm curious about how do you interact and impact the lives of recipients at MidAmerica Transplant? Well, our, our oldest program, two ways. One, I'll talk about our family house and I'll also talk about our volunteer program. So Uh, Maybe I should begin with the volunteer program. We are really fortunate to have 200, a little bit over 200 trained volunteers who go through our training process. And they really 
are extensions of our mission and the work that they do across the 84 counties that we serve in providing ongoing education and outreach in their own community. They may give a high school presentation. They might talk to their Rotary or their Kiwanas. They may give a presentation at their church. And sometimes they accompany us to the hospitals to thank the nursing teams um, after uh, a donor has been supported at a local facility. So we're really grateful for those volunteers and, and many of them are recipients. And so our team here at Mid-America Transplant, my colleagues and I, we're just so motivated and moved by individuals like you who continue to honor the legacy of their donor by promoting organ tissue and eye donation and transplantation. And what's great about that too, Monica, I think is that often maybe someone who has been on dialysis for a while, who has been thinking about being listed for a kidney transplant, they want to hear directly from someone who's received a kidney transplant. They want to know what it's like. They want to know yes. what that whole waiting process is. And, and nobody can speak to that except a recipient. And so that's really moving when you see that take place, because we do believe more people need to, who are on dialysis need to be educated about whether an organ transplant is the, the right clinical procedure for them. And so that's pretty fantastic. On a different note, in 2013, our board of directors at MidAmerica Transplant made the decision that we needed to do more to support those from across our region who have to relocate to St. Louis while they wait for that life-saving call. And across from our facility here in the city, just across from this, the zoo, if, if any of the listeners have been to the city of St. Louis, we have two apartment buildings. And so in 2013, our organization took a lease out on 10 apartments in one wing of the building. We created a separate entrance for that, and we call that family house. And we have a variety of apartments, one, two, or three-bedroom apartments. Uh, families can stay as long as they need to uh, in certain situations. Uh, that's been over two years. The average family stays right around 100 days. And those apartments are made available to them at the cost of $5, 10 or $15 a night so that they have a comfortable place to stay while they're away from, from home. And that includes pre-transplant and post-transplant as well. So a lot of people ask us, well, doesn't the Ronald McDonald House do that? And the Ronald McDonald House is a great community partner, and we fully support the Ronald McDonald House. But in certain situations, the Ronald McDonald House is community living. And since our, as you know, our patients or the families we support, the individuals we support are immunosuppressed, uh, community living doesn't always make sense for them and it could be a little bit medically risky. And so being allowed to be in their own apartment is really critical. We've had the opportunity since 2013 to serve. Uh, we're coming up on 240 families from 26 states, some of them from southern Illinois, central Illinois, Effingham, Carbondale, uh, Murfreesboro, uh, some of them from rural Missouri as well, and then from other places across the United States which has really been interesting and meaningful to, to our staff. What we're really excited about here at Mid-America Transplant is the board has approved building our own family house. So as, as you're well aware, April is Donate Life Month. And on April 23rd, we had an official groundbreaking for a new construction build about half a mile from our offices. It'll be a 21-unit apartment building about 30,000 square feet in the city of St. Louis, located 
um, one mile from Barnes Jewish Hospital and three miles from SSM St. Louis University Hospital. And there we'll be able to double the number of families that we support who relocate here to St. Louis while they're waiting for that life-saving call or recovering from that life-saving gift. And that's scheduled to open. I'm going to knock on wood here, Monica, but that is scheduled to open in April of 22. So maybe you can come down and join us for that dedication. Oh, wow. I definitely will because that is so exciting. That is such a wonderful resource for recipients. Yeah, we're really excited about that. How do we support the recipients? And we've really aligned it um, with our value of stewardship. And so, um, you know, donor families, as we've talked about so far, donor families, they they say yes on their worst days to us, to yes. organ tissue and eye donation. And we at MidAmerica Transplant are responsible for stewarding those gifts along with our hospital partners to new recipients. And through that stewardship, we've realized some resources and now we're we believe we're returning those resources or stewarding those resources back to the community in the form of this family house by making this really what we believe is is an accessible option for families from across the region. Um, because it's, it's tough if you have to relocate to a big city like Chicago or St. Louis while you wait for a transplant, you've still got your home back in your original community and then you're, right. you need to cover these expenses related to transplant. And so that's pretty stressful. Very. And we want to we want to try and alleviate some of that stress. So we do survey our residents to see if there are things we can do better or things, ways we could better meet their needs. And then we try to incorporate their feedback into our programming moving forward. But it's been pretty ph- phenomenal. And if I may just share a brief story. Please. We had a family, I had just been here a couple of months. This is in late 2015. And we had a family whose um, two-year-old son was waiting for a heart transplant at one of the two children, one of the two children's hospitals here in St. Louis. And I share this story with the family's permission. And um, they, their, their son had been in the hospital since um, August, September timeframe. And so the family made the decision to move up to St. Louis and they had another son who was six and the mom was, was pregnant as well. And so they were able to stay at our family house and be able to quickly get back and forth to the hospital uh, where their son was in the ICU. And on December 24th, 2015, their surgeon uh, at Cardinal Glennon accepted a heart for transplant from Iowa. So on December 24th, which is right in the holiday season, um, a donor family who lost their young child on their worst day said yes to saving the life of a child they may never meet. And so the surgeon at Cardinal Glennon accepted that heart offer. He and a team accompanied by some of my colleagues flew up to Iowa And at 9.09 a.m. on December 25th, 2015, they brought that heart back to Cardinal Glennon. And Liam got a heart transplant on December 25th. And so we celebrate and hold up and honor that donor family who said yes to organ donation. And we celebrate the fact that today Liam is in second grade. And we just got to see him at our groundbreaking and he was running around like crazy with his, with his two other brothers, with a shovel in his hand. And, and that really is the beauty of the work that we do. And, and 
And the family house is one of the tools that supports that work and supports those recipients. That is beautiful. What what a Christmas. Two lives that were impacted and one child's life lost but saved another. And that, you know, that's the circle of life. Well, I, I think that really is. That's it's tremendous, tremendous thing that's been done. And and Liam's father, you know, he'll speak anywhere across the region on the beauty of organ donation and, and his mom as well. And, and we're so honored to have them as members of our volunteer team that really can speak to the beauty of what's taking place here. But if I may share with you last year um, during the pandemic, obviously there were a lot of uh, restrictions. One is not everybody in the hospital was medically eligible to donate um, organs, mm-hmm. uh, especially if they had a COVID-19 diagnosis, that was an automatic rule out. But yet, in those extreme conditions, uh, we reached a milestone in the number of kidneys recovered and transplanted for our region. And that milestone was 415 kidneys in 2020, which was up from the year before. And our team takes a lot of pride in working with those donor families that took 415 people off of dialysis last year during a pandemic. And when we hold up and celebrate that and recognize that dialysis can be stressful anytime, but I'm sure during a pandemic, it was incredibly stressful for, for many families out there and in patients. And so we celebrate these families from 2020, um, who were able to, to take over one person off of dialysis each and every day. And that's something the team here takes a lot of, a lot of pride in. What words of encouragement do you have for those who are still on the fence about organ donation? For those in our community who are still uh, on the fence about organ donation, I I would ask you to reach out to your local organ procurement organization in Illinois that's going to be Gift of Hope in Chicago and in Northern Illinois and in Southern Illinois, that's MidAmerica Transplant, midamericatransplant.org. Reach out to a member of their community outreach team to engage them in a conversation about organ donation, specifically any misconceptions that they might have about the process. The more educated each and every one of us is on the benefits of organ donation and the process that takes place, that, that really provides us with the opportunity to become advocates for it as well. Monica, you and I have seen firsthand the benefits of organ donation. We've seen the incredible lives that recipients live after receiving this life-saving gift. I, I quite frankly would encourage you to go to the events of the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois and meet recipients, meet donor families, and become part of this inspiring community. Thank you. Those are great words of encouragement. And um, I hope that those that are listening will heed those words of encouragement. And I hope that that will help to change their mind if, and, and help them to make an educated decision, I'll say, about organ donation. Thank you so much, Kevin. This has been a fantastic conversation. I've learned so much from you. And I am so inspired and I admire the work that you do and I thank you. By registering to be an organ donor, you're committing to save lives. By advocating for organ donation, you're helping others to make the same powerful choice. For more information on deceased organ donation and the work that Kevin is doing with MidAmerica Transplant, contact midamericatransplant.org. At NKFI, prevention is a major part of our mission. 
That's why at the end of each episode, you will hear a nutrition tip. Here's Dr. Melissa Prest. Here's today's nutrition tip about kidney stones. It's estimated that one in 10 people will have a kidney stone at some point in their lifetime. A kidney stone is a hard object that is made from the chemicals in urine. There are five different types of kidney stones, calcium oxalate, calcium phosphate, uric acid, struvite, and cysteine. Calcium oxalate stones are the most common type of kidney stone and are created when calcium combines with oxalate in the urine. Inadequate calcium and fluid intake, along with other conditions, may contribute to their formation. Calcium phosphate stones are less common, but are caused by similar things as calcium oxalate stones. Uric acid is another common type of kidney stone and often occurs with high consumption of purine-rich foods like organ meats and shellfish over a period of time. High purine intake increases the production of monosodium urate, which may form stones in the kidney. And while it's okay to consume these foods in moderation, be cautious of excessive regular consumption if you may be at risk for the development of uric acid kidney stones. Struvite kidney stones are less common and are caused by an infection in your upper urinary tract. Finally, cysteine stones tend to be rare and are hereditary. Common symptoms of kidney stones include severe pain in your lower back, blood in your urine, nausea, vomiting, fever, and chills, or urine that smells bad or looks cloudy. If you have any of these symptoms, it's important to follow up with your healthcare provider. Want to reduce your risk for developing a kidney stone? Follow these tips. Drink fluids to keep your urine less concentrated with waste products. Aim for 12 glasses a day. Water is best and sugar-sweetened beverages should be limited. Eat lots of fruits and vegetables in order to make urine that is less acidic. When your urine is less acidic, it will be more difficult for stones to form. Reduce excess salt in your diet and make sure you meet the minimum recommended daily allowance of 1,000 milligrams of calcium a day to prevent kidney stones. Try to get this through food as calcium supplements tend to increase kidney stone risk. With today's nutrition tip, I'm Melissa Prest, a registered dietitian nutritionist and the foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. The Journey Continues is brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois and sponsored by Donate Life Illinois. To learn more about kidney disease and living donation, visit www.nkfi.org. To register to become an eye, tissue, and organ donor, visit lifegoeson.com. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to and leave a review for The Journey Continues in Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. This podcast is produced by Rivet. To hear more great podcasts, visit rivet360.com.